To only my Maker, my Father, my Savior, Redeemer, Restorer, Rebuilder, Rewarder, to only a God like you, do I give my praise. We're glad that you're with us this morning. If you're whether you're watching us online or here with us this morning, there is nobody like our God. Amen. Let's stand together and worship.
how many can say, thank you, Lord, today. There's none like you, right? None like our Heavenly Father. We could search the world all over and find that there is none like Christ. And that's something to be excited about this morning, wouldn't you say? Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Marvelous are his works. And the works of his creation are we. We are made in his image, and he loves us eternally. This morning, how many of you are happy to be in the house of the Lord? to sit in his presence and to thank him for all that he has done, all the good things that he has done. Our scripture this morning, if you're reading along with each other, is found in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 2, starting with verse 6, which reads, Yet when I am among mature believers... I do speak with words of wisdom, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or to the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. No, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. That is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God prepared for those who love him. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thought except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit. So we can know the wonderful things that God has freely, freely given us. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. God's word for God's people. Can we look to the Lord? Glory to you, God. Thank you for waking us up this morning. Thank you, Father God, for giving us a spirit to come worship you in your house. 
Father God, we love you so much today and yesterday and tomorrow. We'll love you eternally because you first loved us. We thank you, Father God, for these words of praise that the praise team have been singing. Nothing is better than you, Father God. There is no one like you. We know that we could search and search. We could turn rocks over and find no one like you, Father God. You were so great that you spoke a word and the world was formed. Father God, you were so great that even before you formed the world and before we were formed in the womb, you had a purpose and a plan for our lives. Father God, you sent your son, Jesus, to die for us so that we could be eternally reconnected to you. And we thank you for that, Father God. We praise you. So now we're here to worship you, to worship your holy name. Throughout this experience, we're going to lift you up. And we're going to just thank you for what you've done yesterday, what you're doing right now, and what you're going to do tomorrow. We thank you, Father God, for the souls who don't know you, that, you are, that you're drawing to you so that they can be reconnected to you for eternity. We thank you, Father God, for the words that we're going to read from the Bible, the words that we're going to hear from the mighty man of God that you have sent to share with us, and for the way that those words are going to be interpreted by your Holy Spirit and magnified in our lives so that we can bless someone else. We thank you, Father God. We love you. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Hey, CTC family. I'm Chrissy, and here's this week's news. As most of you know, the Ministry of Hope Lunch reaches out to families in need every Wednesday. Many of you have participated in this ministry by donating food. We are asking for your help again. We need donations of non-perishable food items like cereal, peanut butter, pancake mix, and canned soups and sauces. You can drop off your donations during office hours or at one of our weekend services. We are excited to announce that on Thursday, October 15 at 7 p.m., we will be hosting a concert with Christian artist Jason Gray. Some of Jason's songs include Remind Me Who I Am and I'm Gonna Let It Go. We will be planning this event with social distancing guidelines in mind. And as always, our facility will be clean and safe for guests. We will also be offering an online option for this event. For more information on these and other events, visit our website at ctcde.net or go to our Facebook page. If you need prayer, you can call the church office at 302-836-2862 or text us at 888-344-1022. You can also email us at prayer at ctcde.net. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. God bless you and have a great week. Welcome to Christ the Cornerstone. I told our congregation last night I got to do this in this spot last night. And I was like, y'all, I don't know if I know how to do this anymore because I haven't been up here in so long. Ever since uh, back in March when we went online only, I've been downstairs and backstage and and uh, working in all different kinds of places. Not that I haven't enjoyed that. 
but I have missed being able to be in front of you and to uh, greet you. So whether you're here in the building this morning or whether you're worshiping with us on our online campus, we welcome you and we pray that God's anointing rests on you. Uh, today, I want to talk to you just a few minutes before we uh, prepare to give. And, and as it's been the custom uh, for the last several months, we're not passing any offering plates or baskets this morning. Uh, but your faithfulness. I, can we just talk about the faithfulness of God's people today? You guys have stayed faithful to what God has asked you to do in terms of supporting the ministries of Christ, the cornerstone. And it has enabled us to continue to do what God has called us to do. Because you are faithful, we can be faithful to what God has called us to do. And it just makes me so excited week after week after week to see the things that God wants us to do continuing in this world. Pastor Roger and Carolyn are away this weekend, and uh, so we're lifting them up in prayer. Uh, They are moving their daughter Emily to uh, uh, Orlando, Florida. And uh, so after they do that, they're going to take some much-needed time away for for some vacation and for themselves. Uh, But we want to make sure that we keep them in prayer. Uh, Over the last few weeks, you've seen, uh, no doubt, our new logo and some new branding uh, that we're doing around here. And uh, historically, uh, we have focused on five things. Loving God, serving him, connecting with God's family, telling our story, and sharing our resources. Now, we haven't done away with or abolished those things. We are continuing to do those five things. But in order to wrap them up in a little bit more neat package so that there are single words that we can all remember... We are changing to love, serve, and engage. You you saw it at the end of the announcement video here a few minutes ago. We love God by worshiping him and by loving his people. We serve him by telling our story and by uh, sharing our resources and and, and by ministering to other people. We serve him uh, by getting involved in ministry. And we engage by getting involved in a small group and connecting with other people in the family of God so that we can support one another because that's what life is all about, isn't it? Supporting one another, because I don't know about you, but I can't do this life by myself and I don't want to. And so love, serve and engage is what we're going to be focusing on. And you're going to see more visual representations of this around the campus and on our website and in all different places so that you can remember that. Hey, what does your church do? Well, we love, we serve and we engage. Well, what does that mean? And then you can take an opportunity to tell them what that means. So I want to talk to you again just a minute about giving. Uh, again, you can go to our website, uh, ctcde.net forward slash give, and you can give an offering. You can set that offering up to be one time. You can set it up to be recurring. If you want to just set it up to be recurring and you never have to think about it again, uh, then that's certainly a great thing to do. It's certainly a great resource uh, for us to have. The worship team is going to continue to lead us. I'd just like to pray one more time if we can. Uh, as we prepare to give and as we think about God's faithfulness to us. Can we just pray? Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us, and we thank you for the faithfulness of your people. God, we honor you today with the fruit of our lips and our hearts and everything about us. So, God, we give ourselves to you in worship and adoration today, and we ask you to receive the gift of our praise and our worship and our offering of financial resources and whatever else it is that we bring to you today. Receive it, Lord, because our hearts are full and we want to glorify you. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Would you stand as we continue to worship today?
Amen and praise the Lord. He has done great things, brothers and sisters, hasn't he? Has he done great things in your life? All the time, amen. Do you want him to do great things in the future for your lives? Then we're going to come before the Lord humbly in prayer as he's told us to. Let it never be said that we have not because we because we've asked not. So we're going to go before the throne of grace, as Paul told us to do, where we can obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our times of need. I don't know about you, but i got a lot of needs. I need God in my life. And I'm humbling myself and asking him to hear all of our prayers, all of them, for he is so faithful. Let us bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to say thank you. And as uh, our dear sister Fran said when she ended her prayer, Lord, we love you. If there's a people anywhere that loves you, that adores you, we exalt you, Jesus. You are so wonderful. You are the lover of our souls. And we just thank you so much for caring about us. We We don't understand why sometimes. Why do you love us the way you do? But can't nobody love us like Jesus? And we're so thankful for that. Lord, keep on blessing us, as Jabez said. Oh, that you would bless us indeed and enlarge our territory for the good. Keep us safe, O oh God, from all hurt, harm, and danger. And Lord, we ask that you let no weapon formed against your children prosper. And may every tongue that rise up against us in judgment, I pray that it be condemned. For your word says that is the heritage of my servants. For their righteousness is of me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that Holy Ghost protection. Lord, especially during these days, we ask that you keep us safe. Keep us safe, Lord, from dangers seen and unseen alike. There's an enemy that we can't see, but that's all right, Lord. You've got us covered. You said you would cover us with your feathers so that under your wings we could trust that your truth is our shield and our buckler. And somebody needs to hear this. We need not be afraid of the terror by night nor the arrows that fly up by day, nor the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor the destruction that wasteth at noonday. And though a thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, the Lord said it will not come nigh us, because we have made the Lord, who is our refuge, even the most high, our refuge. He said, No evil shall befall you, neither shall any plague come near your dwelling. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for your holy, precious word that we can depend on, that we can speak out, and it will have the desired effect upon us because your word does not return unto you void. My words might return void, but your words don't. They prosper in what they've been sent forth to do. Lord, bless everybody in the building today who thought of not robbery to come out here, dear God, regardless of what might have been whispered in their ear by old Satan there. They came out here and they're using common sense where you were doing safe practices. And Lord, you've kept us all safe throughout all these months. And we just want to say thank you for that. You opened the church and we're here and everybody has been safe. That is nothing but the protection of God. Hallelujah. Can we give him a hand clap? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We just want to say thank you. We want to stop and say thank you, Jesus. And, Lord, would you continue to do so, please? We need you. There are those of us who are sick. Family members are sick. We need you. Yes, Sister Debbie, all the time. All the time we need you, dear God. 
Lord, you know those who are in the hospital, sometimes we can't even go see them. They need you, Lord. Let them feel your presence, oh God. Lord, bless all those people who went to the rally yesterday in Washington to lift you up in prayer. Bless every one of them, dear God. And those of us who stayed home and did the same thing. Lord, we love you. And we are declaring your prominence in our life and in this country. And we thank you that you are our wonderful God. Lord, bless Dr. Ayers today as he brings the mighty word of God. We can't wait to hear it. And Lord, if it's just half as good as it was last night, I can't wait. And Lord, we just ask that you continue to strengthen him and to anoint him and to bless him and his beautiful family as they continue to do the great work of God that they've been doing all these years. It's good to back, it's good to have him back in the United States. And for that, we give you the glory, the honor in every aspect of our lives. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. One, two. Good morning. Wow, it's bright up here. It's like I'm in the presence of Jesus in these bright lights. Don't you love that God shares his presence with us? And he never leaves us nor forsakes us in the midst of a fallen and a corrupt world. We have an anchor and his name is Jesus. It's a wonderful privilege and an honor and a pleasure and a joy and all those things to be back with you. The only regret is that my wife and my four kids, and I know every time I come back it seems like I have more kids than I did the previous time. Um, The math isn't quite that precise. You know, it's been 13 years since we went to Haiti the first time and spoke here at Cornerstone, and that's unbelievable to think about. And... um, um, 13 years in Haiti, you know, God's got a plan that we oftentimes don't know about. And what I want to do this morning is a couple different things. I sort of I want to tell you the story of how we got from point A to point B. Um, Many of you may, may not know that we are we've transitioned out of Haiti and now we're living in Mississippi and I'm serving as the president of Wesley Biblical Seminary. So I went from one seminary to thank you to another seminary. I want to tell that narrative. Um. But before I get into that narrative, let me say this. Stacy and the kids didn't come because 20 hours in the car with four kids under 11 is just a long way to come. And, and COVID and, you know, we thought maybe it's just and Mississippi's is still a do not travel state. You know, so we didn't want to bring that. And if we have family members and friends who shouldn't be exposed to people from Mississippi. And don't you love that the government can't get in between God's people? Well, it shouldn't be able to get in between God's people, that we have a calling to gather. I was really frustrated. Uh, This is dangerous, by the way. Let me pause for a minute. There's only one service this morning, which means I can preach as long as I want to. (laughs) I was frustrated because I saw this really well-known preacher, TV preacher, and you all would know the name. And uh, he was on a video and he was kind of criticizing some other pastors who were having church in person. And he said, let me tell you something, folks. These other pastors will tell you that the Bible says that the people of God must meet together in person. He says, let me tell you something. The Bible doesn't say that. And I thought, 
Yes, it does say that. It says that over and over again. I can't count how many times the Bible says that the people of God need to be meeting together. So I, I just appreciate the Cornerstone family for being here this morning. And, and that's not to say that we have a sensitivity and we love our brothers and sisters who are maybe more cautious and want to stay home and join us virtually. That's okay too, but nothing should stop the people of God from meeting together. And so anyway, before I get into sort of the story of how we got from Haiti to Mississippi, the Lord has laid something on my heart I wanted to share right out the gate here this morning. And um, the United States has changed a lot in 13 years. You know, before the age of technology, it took a long time for change to take hold and, and, and really have an effect in the public sphere. And, man, when we left 13 years ago, the state of affairs in the USA was very different than it is today. And living in Haiti, political turmoil and unrest and corruption and rioting and looting and all that stuff was just a regular day-to-day reality for us. Getting caught in mobs on the highways that are blocked, you can't get through, can't drive through. And I always looked forward to the day where God would call us back to the United States where things were peaceful and unified and more or less civil in the public sphere and people weren't acting out in violence for their beliefs and all these sorts of things. And uh, the Lord has just really surprised us as we come back. And I just have this sense in my spirit. And let me say, I love that the Holy Spirit gives us discernment. That you know how there are times where your discernment radar starts pinging, whether that's in a situation where you walk into a place and go, I shouldn't be here. This is not for the people of God. Or if you meet a person and your discernment radar is going, keep your distance, you know, or maybe you're watching a movie and you're going, this isn't for me. I love that the Holy Spirit helps us. And I love that in the midst of a world of confusion and chaos, the Holy Spirit guides our steps. I am so confused. Kids aren't allowed to go to school. I had to go to the Christiana Mall yesterday afternoon because my shoes were falling apart. I got my new holy shoes on. That place was packed out. I mean, packed out. And people are eating and laughing and hugging. And I watched the, watch the NFL. First, there's no football. Now there's football. And, and I'm watching. What's this going to be like? And the refs can't have, can't have whistles. It's just silly. I'm sorry. They can't have whistles. they got to wear a mask. The guys on the sidelines are wearing masks and all this. But the guys are tackling each other and spitting on each other and chest bumping. I'm going, I'm so confused. There is such a lack of coherence about how this is all happening. And, you know, I love that we serve a God of order and that the devil loves confusion, loves to confuse things. But we have the Holy Spirit to guide us. And so I have when I move back to the States, I just have this sense in my spirit that that a chapter is being closed and a new one is being opened. That there's a major shift happening in the life of American culture. That there's an era that's being passed and there's a new era coming. Does anyone else share that sense with me? If you don't, that's okay. It may be just me and it may be just you. But I just have this sense and I was invited to, to speak at a pastor's conference. And this is what the Holy Spirit laid on my heart was to talk about. I think God, I think God wants to do a new thing. So 
There's this thing in theology, you know, teaching at a seminary, I get to rub shoulders with these high-minded theologians and philosophers, and they talk about the immutability of God. And that means that God never changes. I love that God never changes. I'm changing, you know, 40 pounds more than I was in 2007 when I left this place. And, you know, my wife says, well, honey, you know, the camera adds 10 pounds. And I thought, well, I wonder how many cameras I ate. We change. Everything changes. I went back to my hometown in Pensgrove, New Jersey, and man, is it different today than it used to be. I went back to middle. I graduated from Middletown High School in 2002, and it is Middletown is so different than it used to be. God never changes. You go back to him, and he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But you know what? Even though he never changes, he's always doing new things. And I think God wants to do a new thing in the life of Christians and the church Today, And I think that here's the hard part. In order, I I believe, from what I'm understanding from the word and through my prayer life and practicing the spiritual disciplines, it's important that we practice spiritual disciplines. That's what discipleship means, is it's not going to be easy, it's hard, you've got to discipline yourself, you know. Anyway, I believe that God is waiting, however, to do this new thing. And I think he's waiting for us to deal with sin. And that's the hard thing to say. In order to do a new thing, we've got to deal with the sin issues. There's this story in John chapter 4 about Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Do you all know this story? Are you relatively familiar with this story? Jesus takes his disciples through Samaria. And this is not something that they wanted to do. I love that God asks us to do things that we don't particularly want to do. He takes them through Samaria, which is considered to be a foreign land. And there's historical reasons for this, even though it's right in the middle of Israel. It's this foreign place. And usually the Jews would go around it to go from the south to the north or the north to the south. But Jesus says, we're not going to go around it. We're going to go right through it. I love that in our walk with Jesus, he takes us right through the mud, man. A lot of times in our spiritual lives, we want God to go around stuff. Let's not talk about this. Let's not talk about that. This is mine. This is for Jesus. Nope. Got to go right through it. So he says, we're going to go through it. And they go through Samaria and he stops because he's tired. It's the middle of the day. He sits down and his disciples go and get Food for him because he's hungry and they're hungry. And they say, you wait here. We're going to go find food. And while he's sitting there waiting for his food, this woman approaches the well and she's by herself. And normally we think, well, that's inconsequential. Well, it's very much of consequence because in this time and in this place, they had different practices and customs and stuff. And so it's it's not appropriate for ladies in the middle of the day to travel all by themselves. They would have either other ladies with them or they would have their husband or their families with them. And the, the time that you don't go to the wells in the middle of the day when it's hot, you go in the morning or you go in the afternoon. This is true in Haiti, too. You know, every morning, sunrise, people got their buckets of water on their head or in the evening. But you don't go at noon. It's just too hot. So this is unusual And you know what? I can't help but think that this is her place of shame because she's got to do what nobody else does because of her embarrassment. And and we know that she's in a place of shame because Jesus says, hey, go get your husband. And she goes, well, I don't have a husband. He goes, you're right. And the man you're living, you've had seven husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. And I, I find it interesting 
that Jesus is right there sitting, waiting for her in the place of her shame. Church, if God's going to do a new thing, we've got to go to that place and let Jesus do a work. And let me get the, the, the story's going somewhere here. They have a conversation about water. Hey, will you get me some water? He says, or he says she says, what are you doing talking to me? You're not supposed to talk to me. I love that Jesus sets the model for us because the culture around us will say these people aren't supposed to associate with those people. And these folks aren't supposed to be friends with those folks. Jesus says, nah, everybody's made in God's image. Nobody's off limits. They're all mine. And he says, will you get me water? And she says, I don't have a do you have a bucket? Do you have a pail? Do you have something to get this water with? He said, if you know who you were talking to, you'd ask me for water. I'd give you a water that would never end. And then they have this weird conversation. He talks about her sexuality. And, and then how it ends, she goes back to Samaria. And do you remember what happens after she has this conversation with Jesus when she goes back to Samaria? It says that the entire village came to believe. Now, this is interesting for me. This is interesting for me. The first reason why it's interesting is that you would think that one like this, I'm getting some feedback up here, guys. I don't know if you can help me with that. That one like this doesn't have the reputation to be announcing to everyone that the long-awaited Messiah is here. So let's imagine that we all knew someone and that was a local prostitute, which is essentially what this woman is if we're reading the subtext of the text. And she comes in in all of her shame and everyone knows her lifestyle and says, hey, church, you know, you all have been waiting for Jesus for 2000 years. And guess what? Outside just a moment ago, the sky split apart and there he is. He's out there. He's he's here. We'd probably go. She may be a little crazy. But if, if Pastor Roger came in here and said, hey, everybody, Jesus, we probably would probably would believe him. Right. And that's what's interesting is that this lady goes back to her village and she tells everyone that the Messiah that everyone's been waiting for for so long, he's here. And this reminds me that when we share our faith with people, it's the work of the Holy Spirit that convicts people's hearts. And some of us may be in a place this morning to think, well, I'm not eligible or I'm not pure enough or I'm not this enough or I'm not that enough. Well, and the Holy Spirit's always convicting us of our sin and cleaning us up. But the bottom line is that ministry, and we are a priesthood of all believers, ministry for everyone in the church is not your work, it's his work. And if it's successful, it's not because of your finesse with language or capacity or uh, the, the beauty at which you can articulate the message or how you're dressed or your reputation even. It's because the Holy Spirit's working in the hearts of people. That's the first reason it's interesting to me. The second reason it's interesting to me is because God had a plan to do a new thing in Samaria. The entire village came to faith. But you know where his plan started? Dealing with the sin of that lady. And I believe that if God's going to do a new thing in the United States or in the world, he's got to deal with the sin inside of the church. And when that's done, I think many will come to know. But it begins right here. If God wants to do a new thing, he's got to deal with the problem of sin. 
Now, this is a hard thing to talk about. But you know what? That's why Jesus died, you guys. So that we can talk about it and we can deal with it and we can be healed and redeemed and others may be healed and redeemed as a result of that. God wants to do a new thing. Now, here's what, what else is interesting about this passage. Is that this passage reads a lot like other passages inside of the Old Testament. Does it ring any bells when you hear the story of a lone man traveling through a foreign land who stops at a well and then there's ladies at the well and then there's a conversation about water and then the lady goes back to her home village to tell everyone about the man that she met at the well? It happens three times in the Old Testament. In Genesis and in Exodus. Twice in Genesis and once in Exodus. First, it happens to Eleazar, the servant of Abraham. Abraham says, I need you to go and find a wife for uh, Isaac. And he goes down. He's a foreigner. He goes back to a foreign land, has a conversation. And there he finds Rebecca. There he finds Rebecca, the wife of Isaac. And then the second time is Jacob, the son of Isaac. He's a foreigner traveling through a foreign land, goes to a well, and there he meets Rachel. And then it happens to Moses. Moses is running from Egypt, ends up in the desert, so he's a foreigner in a foreign land, goes to a well, and there he meets his wife, Zipporah, the son of, or excuse me, the daughter of the priest, the priest of Sinai, which is really interesting. And in every single one of these cases, it's a wedding story. It's the bride and the groom. And what John is telling us is that this is a wedding story. Jesus is finding his bride. All the elements of ancient Near Eastern romance genre are in the story. And this is set right next to the story of Nicodemus in John 3. Nicodemus comes at night in privacy and they have a conversation and he goes away confused. Although the woman and Jesus meet in the middle of the day, have a conversation in public or at least in a public place. And then as a result, she goes away with clarity as to who he is and her entire village comes to know Jesus. John is trying to give us a profile of the bride of Christ. Jesus didn't come for the righteous. He came for the wicked. He didn't come, from the he- come for the healthy. He came for the sick. Look, and we've got to deal with the sin issues if we're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. If Jesus is going to become our husband as a church, and so many of us are just dating Jesus right now, where we've got this stuff that we want to keep for ourselves, we're not sure if we want to fully commit. Jesus wants to be our husband. He says to her, go and get your husband. And he's saying to the church right now, go and get your idols. If you want to be mine, now's the time. It's now or never. And I'm going to talk about this in a minute. But when he comes back, it's going to come fast. There's no dating period here. You're either in or you're out. There's no halfway. It's like pregnancy. You're never just kind of pregnant, right? You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. You're either married to Jesus or you're married to someone else. You can't serve two masters. And just before this story, John the Baptist, at the end of John chapter 3, John the Baptist is talking about Jesus. 
You may be thinking, well, is that a stretch? Is that really a wedding story? You better believe it's a wedding story. Because John the Baptist's disciples go to him and say, hey, man, Jesus is baptizing more people than you are. I love that we have to decrease and he has to increase. He says, that's okay. Because he's the bridegroom. I'm not. And John the Baptist repeats that word bridegroom like five times in the text right before this story of the woman at the well. And just before John chapter 3, where John the Baptist is going bridegroom, 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 we have John chapter 2. And what do we find in John chapter 2? It's the wedding of Cana. And in the wedding of Cana, Jesus plays the role of the bridegroom. He does what the bridegroom is supposed to do. He provides the wine for the party. And remember, this is John's gospel. John begins his gospel with a wedding in John 2, and he ends his gospel with a wedding in the book of Revelation. Because remember, John wrote Revelation, and it all culminates in the marriage supper of the Lamb. God wants to do a new thing. But church, we've got to stop dating Jesus and commit. And look, this applies as a church. This applies as a church. And this applies to each of us individually as well. Each of us have our husband that we've got to go and get and lay at the altar. Because we're called to have one husband, and that's Jesus. Does that make sense? I believe God wants to do a new thing. Well, I'm thankful. Let me transition here. That God wants to do a new thing, and he's doing a new thing in the life of the heirses. Um... So things in Haiti were going really well. You know, that was a hard road from 2007 to today, 13 years. And um, it takes a long time to gain traction in Haiti. Haiti has the highest turnover of missionaries of all countries in the world. So many feel called, but so many end up leaving because it's just hard. And that's the nature of ministry. God calls us to his work. In other words, he asks us to do things that only he can do, not things that we can do. That's why I'm always so, uh, I, I feel so bad. That <laughs> sounds bad. I feel so bad for pastors. Oh, thank God he never called me to be a pastor. And watch, just because I said that one day. But the reason is he's asking you to do something that you literally can't do, and that's changed people's hearts. He's asking you to do something only he can do, which is why we've got to get small and he has to get big. Hades was hard, but we're finally getting traction. We went from being the lowest ranked Bible college training school on an island of 20 million people to being number one on the island of 20 million people. In 13 years, God did a tremendous work. And by the way, that kind of stuff, when I I came to the new job and people say, how did you all do that? I said, we didn't do anything. God just said, okay, now do this. And we did that. And then he said, now do this. And then we did that. And then he said, now do this. But you have to have an ear to hear him when he says, do this. And that reminds me of a, a, a joke that a preacher told once that got my attention over in Pennsville, New Jersey. How many of y'all know where Pennsville is? Okay. It seems like, okay, Delaware and New Jersey feel like a world away. It's really strange. It's really strange. There was a preacher in a church in Pennsville, New Jersey. He told this joke. He said, a man walks into a bar, and a bar joke in church. I'm going, okay. And he plops this dog down on the bar, and the dog didn't have any legs. And the bartender says, well, what kind of dog is that? He goes, well, it's my dog. And he said, well, what's the dog's name? He said, the dog doesn't have a name. He says, what kind of dog doesn't have any name? He says, well, he couldn't come if you called it. 
And I thought, well, that's funny. But then he said this, would you come if he called you? And I thought, man, I wouldn't even hear his voice if he called me. So when he says do this, we do it. Obedience, it's really that simple. But the hard part is having the ear that's tuned into the Spirit of God. So things are finally going great. Great, great, great. Kids are good. Kids are happy. The school is great. High Record enrollment, record budget levels, new campus, new buildings, new programs. And I get a phone call. Um, the president at Wesley Biblical Seminary prior to me just dropped dead in the parking lot and had a clean bill of health like the week before. And that reminds me, y'all, you never know. You never know. You always got to be ready, which is why this whole dating Jesus thing just doesn't work. Because if you die while you're just dating him, in any case, he drops dead and they said, hey, would you be interested? Can we put your name on the list to be our president? And I said, no, things are really good in Haiti. It's too complicated. I don't ever want to live in Mississippi. And again, don't ever say that. Don't ever say that because God has got the best sense of humor. He really does. I love that God has a sense of humor. And I, I thought, no. And, th- and that was over. And then about a month, a month and a half later, I got another phone call from a guy I love and respect and hold in the highest regard. And I take very seriously when he speaks. And he was actually serving as the interim president, filling in while the search committee looked for a new president for Wesley Biblical. And he said, I, I don't mean to meddle or to pry. You know, sometimes God asks us to meddle and to pry. He does. And you think, oh, that's not my business to talk to that person about that. Well, sometimes it is your business. Because you remember when God said to Cain, hey, where's your brother? He said, what am I, my brother's keeper? You know what the irony is? Yup, you are your brother's keeper. You know how we're supposed to take care of one another? And when you come to faith in Jesus, you submit your rights to privacy. I'm sorry, but you do. And what I don't mean is you have to go to the bathroom with the door open. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about everything is game to talk to one another about. Because if we can't do that as a church, how can we expect to change? Who can we do it with? So anyway, he says, I don't mean to meddle in pride, but did they call you? I said, yeah, they called me. He said, please don't say, please don't tell me you said no. I said, well, I said no because of this and that. He goes, just do me this one favor. And this guy's never asked me a favor. He said, I just pray about it. I said, okay, I'll pray about it. And I, something I missed is prior to this, when I told them no initially, I said, Lord, if you want me to reconsider this, you've got to get my attention. And don't you love that God knows how to get our attention? And so I saw this guy reaching out to me as getting my attention. When this man speaks, it gets my attention. And so I went back to Stacy, or I went downstairs, I hung up the phone, went downstairs. Stacy's office was underneath of my office at the time. And I said, honey, I think we need to put Mississippi on the prayer table. And I had talked to her about this. You know what I meant by Mississippi. Kind of the prayer table being the metaphor for things that we're praying about. And, uh, and to my surprise, she said, okay. I thought she said, no. You know, and I love being married to someone who I'm equally yoked to, you know. And um, she says, okay, and tell me why. And I told her about the phone call. And I said, all right, it's on the prayer table. And I went upstairs to my office. And within 30 seconds, a coworker walked into her office, a Haitian guy. And um, he said, hey, will you mail this for me and drop the envelope on her desk? Because she was the mail spot, you know. And the envelope was addressed to Wesley Biblical Seminary. 
And that got her attention. Now, let me pause for a minute here. Yes, we're our brother's keeper, but God is competent to speak to everybody, right? So if God's calling us to do something, we don't have to work and labor to try to convince our spouses or our co-workers or whatever that this is the direction we have to go. Leave that to him. He'll take care of it. I had to give Stacy to Jesus. I had to, well, Lord, if you're calling me to Mississippi, Stacy's never going to. And I had to go, wait a minute, wait a minute. If God can get a hold of me enough to say, I want you to go to Mississippi, then you better believe he can get a hold of them enough to say, I want you to. Does that make sense this morning? So leave it to the Lord to convict the hearts of people. Now, there are times where he asks us to participate in that. But in the end, he's the one, not us. To convince other people of directions to go. In any case. And then, so what Stacey and I said is, you know, Matt, you're young. You're 17 years old. So I, 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 I do that joke to test, right? So if there's only a little bit of laughter, that's a good thing. Because that means some people are going, is he only 17? Which means, yes. If everybody laughs, you know I'm in trouble, right? If, if Pastor Vaughn gets up here and says, I'm 17 years old, everybody's going to crack up, right? Because <laughs> I love you too, yeah. There's so many obstacles to overcome to get to that. If God's calling me to that, there's no way I can like blaze a trail on my own to get there. There's just no way. And my age is a, is a big one. You know, there aren't, just aren't seminary presidents who are my age. And so we agreed that if this door opens, then we know that this is the direction God wants to go. Sometimes I've learned this. Sometimes we wait for God to say this way or this way, and we wait. And and that's okay sometimes. We see this in Scripture where Jesus says, look, you wait in Jerusalem until you get further instructions. But, you know, I think there are times, this has been so helpful for me, and I want to share it with you. I think there are times in our lives... Where we can go, Lord, I'm going to assume that this is the way to go. If it's not, I need you to redirect me. And too often we just sit and wait and we wait and we wait and we wait. And he's, you know, the Red Sea, not the Red Sea, but the, the, the Jordan River, it only opened up once they took a step. Right? They didn't sit there and wait for it to split like the Red Sea split a few years ago. They said, no, we're going to assume that this is the way and we're going to just step out and start going in that direction and trust him. If that's not the way he wants you to go, he'll close that door. He is a competent communicator. And then sure enough, within a few weeks, you know, I did all the process and they said, you're our guy. And so, you know, in the so so. Our plan was come, we're going to see through the end of the. The academic year. And that's that's like May. And then we'll we'll prepare. We'll say goodbye to everyone. We'll let everybody know carefully. We'll pack our things. We'll figure out what we need to take and what needs to stay in Haiti. You know, we'll go and visit all the churches we want to visit before it's time to go. And we had this all planned out about what the exit would look like. So, okay, we're going to Mississippi this summer. It'll be sometime in May and June. And then COVID hit the fan. And we got a call in March at 10 o'clock at night from our mission organization that says, you, you're being evacuated. You have to be on a, a mail plane, a cargo plane, tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. And then we're going, we better get packed. And so my kids go to bed not knowing that they're going to wake up tomorrow and their bags are packed. 
and it's time to go. And it's time to go. So I'm going to come back to this. I'm going to talk about the end. Is Jesus coming back? Let me finish the story and I'll come back to this. But so, so we left Haiti in March. I started officially as the president of WBS April 1. And Stacy's still working for Haiti but doing it remotely in Mississippi. And so all that to say, um, we couldn't be where we are today in terms of Mississippi, in terms of the success in Haiti with God's help, if it weren't for Cornerstone. But we still need your help. It's not like, okay, Haiti's over, now it's time to stop support. If you all can do it, we... Don't you love, as Christians, we can ask each other for help, and we don't have to be uncomfortable for that? Because guess what? It's all God's money. There was a preacher one time that said, thank the Lord, we have all the money we need to build our new building. And everybody said, woo, yeah, that's fantastic, Pastor. He said, there's only one problem. They said, what? He says, y'all are just still sitting on it. It's funny, but it's kind of true, isn't it, Pastor Vaughn? <laughs> so anyway, we, we're so grateful for your help. Let me tell you about Wesley Biblical Seminary. There's a problem in Methodism today. I don't know if you know that. And the Methodist church is going to split probably in the next 12 months. Who knows? God knows. And um, Wesley Biblical Seminary is a bastion for producing conservative Methodist pastors who hold the scriptures in the highest regard. So here's the problem. You know, there are all these issues that separate, that divide Methodism and the church in general, really. The main one today is the whole sexuality issue, right? And there's, that's, that's kind of the litmus test. You're either on this side or that side. But I, my opinion is that those issues aren't the actual issues. The actual issues is, the actual issue is your understanding of the Word of God. Do you bow to it as authority, as an authority in your life and trust it and take it at face value, even though it may be hard and countercultural? Or do you make it bow to you in the context of your culture and your reason? And Wesley Biblical Seminary, including me, we are a pillar that believes in two things, holiness and the Bible. And we believe that the Bible means what it says and says what it means. And if you have to do interpretive acrobatics to try to rationalize or justify what you want to make the Bible not say something it's actually saying, then you have a low view of Scripture. To me, it's a Bible issue. It's a Scripture issue. And all the other issues are surface issues. And Wesley Biblical Seminary, God has planted that place. We call it the vine of God's planting as a, as a place that produces pastors, leaders, missionaries who take holiness seriously and who take the Bible seriously. And that's something I'm excited to be a part of. Excited to be a part of. And here's something else I'm really very, very proud of. It's also where I did my master's degree, right? So I'm proud of my alma mater, but it's also the most racially diverse seminary in the nation, which I'm so thrilled about, you know, going from Haiti and you know that Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America. And, and there could be good reasons for that. And there could just be natural reasons for that. And, you know, and geographical reasons for that. Right. Um, and so, but we believe that God is Three in one. He's the Trinity, and that means there's diversity in the Godhead, and that's to be celebrated. And as people of God, we need to celebrate that as well. Okay. Wesley Biblical Seminary. We're thrilled. I'd love to tell you more about it. And let me say this. Um, I'm so excited to be teaching in English and not French or Creole, and it's just fantastic. 
And um, we, I teach courses, and we have a whole host of faculty, uh, you know, with doctorates and terminal degrees, who will help people go deeper in their understanding of Scripture and theology. You can audit courses. You can take what's called the Wesley Institute. If you're interested in joining us for some online virtual learning, we would love to have you. For example, I'm teaching a 15-week course in the book of Psalms right now. Sixty people in the course, and some of those are pastors, and some of them are lay people who just want to go deeper in their knowledge of the book of Psalms. So uh, if you're interested in that, I can get you plugged in. Okay, that's enough of the plug for Wesley Biblical Seminary. Stacy's still working for Haiti. Let me finish up with this. There's two things I want to say. We started at 9. It's 10.07, so I think I'm okay. Okay. Um, I, we're, we're good. I'm, I'm, we're moving into the conclusion now. Okay. I said a moment ago that when God moved us, it happened fast. And one of the most common questions I get as a theologian from people today, especially as I'm visiting churches, is, is Jesus coming back soon? Do you all have that question too? I have that question. And Jesus says, nobody knows. Even, Jesus said, even I don't know when I'm coming back. I go when God tells me to go. But what we do know is that when it happens, it's going to happen fast. And there's no time to waste. It's going to be like the Exodus where they waited 400 years for deliverance from slavery. And when the time, and we've been waiting a long time, 2,000 years since the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. We've been waiting a long time. And you could think, well, let's get comfortable. It could be a while still. Nope, 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 nope. Act as if he's coming tonight. Because he says, I'll come like a thief in the night. It's going to be like the days of Noah. And everyone's going to be going about their merry way. And then I'm going to come and I'm going to go. And that's going to be it. It's going to happen so fast, like in Egypt, they said, you're not going to have time to put your shoes on. Sleep with your shoes on. So we got to be sleeping with our shoes on. Here's something else I wanted to say. Because it's going to happen fast, we have no time to waste. Let me talk about that for a minute. There's a lot of Christians wasting their time today. In a lot of different ways. And here's one way. Do you all know the story of Jonathan and David? You know that story in the Old Testament? Jonathan and David were very best friends. To the point where Jonathan actually sided with David, his friend, over his, his own dad, his own father. He betrayed the trust of his father to be loyal to David. And there were times where, you know, Saul, who was his dad, was trying to kill David. And Jonathan said, look, my dad's planning to kill you. It's going to be tomorrow at 10 o'clock. Make sure you're not here then. So he's like the insider. That's how close they were. And so one would think that when David became king of Israel, that Jonathan would be like his right-hand man, right? Like the secretary of state or the chief of staff or the vice president would be a David-Jonathan 2020 bumper sticker, Right? (laughs) Um, But when David becomes president, there is no Jonathan. Where's Jonathan? When David, he just disappears from the story. What happened to Jonathan? Does anyone know? Jonathan died in battle before David became king. What battle did he die in? You know, he died fighting alongside of his dad instead of fighting alongside of Jonathan. And here's what I want to say this morning. There are too many Christians fighting the wrong battle with the wrong king. And we got to 
Be really careful about that. We cannot waste our time dying on the wrong hill for the wrong cause. We fight with Jesus and the Jesus cause. And we do it, we do it, we don't do it with power and might and tanks and swords and signs and protests. We do it with love. We love our enemies. But there are going to be a lot, we see it, don't you all see it on social media? You see it? Your Christian brothers and sisters, they're, they're distracted and they're fighting the wrong battle with the wrong king for the wrong cause. Die on the hill with Jesus, fighting his battle and his cause, because there's no time to waste. Salvation is not in Washington, D.C. It's in your life with Jesus, just like that woman at the well. He does a redemptive work there and it reaches itself out. That's where redemption comes to the world. It's not through legislators or politicians, presidents and vice presidents, parties and movements, hashtags. It comes with Jesus and the redemption of sin inside of our lives. The great human problem is thinking that the problem of the world is everybody else. I'm the problem. Because you can't get to heaven on the back of somebody else. Listen, when you sit before the throne of judgment, I said this last night, I want to say it again. You will not sit before Jesus to determine your eternal destiny. And he will not ask, who did they vote for in the 2020 election to determine if you get in? That's not the criteria. And he will not ask, what group were they a part of? What color were they? What gender were they? What socioeconomic status did they have? What brands did they wear? Where did they shop? What was the state of their bank account? He asks, you can't sit before the throne of judgment with your group. You sit, you and you alone. And he asked this question. God the Father, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father judging. And God the Father says to Jesus, did you know him? That's it. That's it. That's it. Did you know him? And there's three possible answers. Number one, I knew him. Number two, I know ye not. Number three, they cast out demons in my name, but I don't have any idea who they are. You can't get to heaven on the back of somebody else. There's no time to waste. So... Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Because God wants to do something new. And in order to do something new, we've got to bring our husbands to the altar. A lot of people, yeah, you can come up, worship team. A lot of people uh, ask me about spiritual warfare in Haiti. uh, Because it's crazy, man. The voodoo and the witch doctors, I've witnessed everything you can imagine. And I say, look, first of all, Satan gets way more credit than he's due. Second of all, demons are like rats, and rats feed on garbage. You can work all day trying to cast out a demon, but if you still got garbage in your life, the demons aren't going anywhere, because that's how they get in. Right? So we've got to get rid of the garbage. This is just another object lesson to say the same thing I've been saying about dealing with sin. And so, Jesus says to the woman at the well, go get your husband and bring him. And he says to us, go get the garbage and bring it. And in Mississippi... Every week, twice a week, I take my garbage can down to the the street. I take it down to the street. 
And the trash man comes and takes that garbage away. I don't know if any preacher, if you ever heard a preacher compare Jesus to the trash man. But you know that's what he is. For this illustration. And this is the street. And some of us this morning got some garbage to take out. And if you want him to do something new, bring the trash to the street. And the demons will go away. And your redemption will result in the transformation of you and the people around you. Thank you, Cornerstone, for your awesome support, your love, always making me feel welcome. And hopefully, hopefully next time I'm here, everyone will be with me and you'll get to see how giant my children are. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love and for your grace. We thank you for your provision. We thank you that you give us clarity and discernment. We thank you that you guide us into new things, but you also ask us to do things that you in turn help us to pull off, Lord. That when you ask us to do something hard, you're always there to help. Lord, help us to navigate these strange times in a way in which we can become yet smaller still and you can become greater. Lord, we thank you for your death, for the forgiveness of sins, for new creation, for new life, that we need not be ashamed of our sin or of the gospel, that we have a Holy Spirit that affirms and witnesses inside of our hearts and our lives and the Holy Spirit that sustains our breath in Jesus. Lord, fill up our oil this morning that we can be strong for you, ready for your return at any moment so that when we sit before the seat of judgment, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's in the name of the Holy Trinity we pray and all God's people said, amen. I always say, wow. I get teary-eyed and everything, but it, it, that was a message we needed to hear as a church. Amen. Let's stand together. Our God is a way maker. Our God is a miracle worker. Our God is a promise keeper. Our God is a light in the darkness. That's who He is. And even if we don't hear Him or see Him or feel Him or whatever, He's still working. I love what he said. Pay attention. Pay attention to him. Learn to hear him. Because we need him. Without him, we have nothing.
Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand praise. Brothers and sisters, can we give this wonderful man of God, this wonderful pastor, can we give Brother Matt a hand clap of appreciation and thankfulness for the word he brought today. That was an anointed word, doctor. God bless you, and thank you. I heard most of it last night, and then you added some things today, and it was just amazing. Very, very good. Yes, yes. That's why you need to come back every chance. I see Brother Weldon came back from last night, and it was worth it, wasn't it, brother? Got some more of the word. Praise God. I hope you took notes. I saw a lot of people writing as Dr. Ayers was preaching to us. We don't hear it that often. We get a lot of good preachers. Pastor Rogers is amazing. Pastor Paul is amazing. But it's good to have a man of this caliber also come in here and bless us with what thus saith the Lord. Take it out to the world. Tell them what you learned today, that we don't have tomorrow to boast about. The Bible tells us not to boast about it. Right, doctor? In such a time that you knoweth not, Jesus said in Matthew 24, the Son of God returneth. So, like the doctor said, in the twinkling of an eye, he could come here. Let people know time could be very, very close, even before you walk out the door. And that's our duty, to have a burden for souls and to tell people to get ready, get ready, get ready, be ready, because they might not have enough oil in their lamps. That's what we heard last night. When Jesus comes, that's the Holy Spirit. So, by all means, cherish the word, but share it. Amen? One more time, a hand clap for Dr. Ayers. We love you, Pastor. God bless all of you. God bless those of you who are at home watching. We love you. Even more important, God loves you. His presence is with you. And His presence is fullness of joy. At His right hand are blessings forevermore. And he says, I will show you the pathways of life. Stay in his presence. Stay in the light. Matthew 6, uh, Psalm sixteen eleven, And let God bless you. Get rid of those uh, little kingdoms that might keep you away from God, from Jesus. When we stand before him, he says one of three things to you. And I sure don't want to hear him say that last thing. So God bless all of you. Have a blessed week. Be safe. And tell somebody about Jesus. Amen. God bless.